0: From Northern California Public Media, welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher.
1: the jungles in notorious zone d these c123s of the 309th air commando squadron have a unique assignment defoliation the spray materials used are harmless to humans animals soil and water on this flight they're spraying the jungle to defoliate the areas around an army special forces camp with the camp's perimeter stripped of foliage there is less chance of a surprise vc attack defoliation An important Air Force mission in support of our ground forces.
0: During the Vietnam War, the U.S. military defoliated large swaths of Vietnam with Agent Orange. The goal was to deprive enemy forces of jungle cover. In the process, it exposed American soldiers to this toxic chemical as well. Our own civilians back in the U.S. were also exposed to Agent Orange, along with other herbicides being tested for military use. That happened at an Air Force base in Florida throughout the 1960s. Dozens of civilians involved in the testing at the base say that more than 40 years after their exposure, they are ill and dying. John Kalish reports from the Florida Panhandle on Agent Orange and the forgotten civilians of Eglin Air Force Base.
2: Eglin Air Force Base straddles three counties in the Florida Panhandle. It's an area that's referred to as the Emerald Coast or the Redneck Riviera. Back in the 60s, there was a testing range on the Eglin Base where workers at a private company called Vitro were involved in testing Agent Orange for the Air Force.
3: Mason Bayou crosses right here, don't it, Billy? That's right.
2: Von Jones and Billy McLean both worked for Vitro and have come back to hunt over the years in an area where the public has access. Jones hasn't been this close to the testing range where Agent Orange was sprayed in more than 30 years, but he remembers the experience well. You could
3: see the spray coming down And then you could smell it after the mission for the rest of the day. Sometimes you could smell it two or three days. You could tell when they would sprayed by just smelling it as you come to work.
2: What did it smell like?
3: It smelled like diesel or a strange smell I'd never smelled before.
2: The job these men did involved working directly with Agent Orange.
4: When I went out there they was building this grid on 52A and it was a mile square. And every 400 feet, they had a six by six foes stood up about five foot high that had places to put these cards on.
2: The card's location in the grid was noted on the back with letters and numbers. After they were sprayed, the civilian workers handled the herbicide-covered cards, collecting them for a truck that transported the cards to a laboratory for analysis.
4: We had control of the range where I was at to clear the aircraft on and tell him when to spray and where to spray and what altitude to spray. He'd spray from 100 feet to 350 feet. They would come in and spray, seemed like two to three times a week.
2: The Vitro Corporation workers were exposed to Agent Orange in other ways as well. Some of them were doused while working film cameras that cost more than a million dollars and were as big as a refrigerator. Two men were needed to operate the cameras, which were perched in a tower above the spray grid. Everybody on the range, I think, got sprayed.
3: And the ones on the camera got sprayed even more because it was closer to the spray grid.
2: 72-year-old Tommy C. Brown was a senior camera operator at Eglin. Sometimes it'd be like a mist, but I remember one time we got sprayed and
3: it was like mud. It was like a thin mud. It kind of covered us up. If I seen mist, I would not cut that camera off. I would sit right there on
2: my position until they told me otherwise. Another camera operator, Clarence Hobbs, describes the Agent Orange mist that drifted onto the camera platform as sticky like syrup.
1: Sometimes we'd have to wipe our forehead, run in the camera, because it'd get on your forehead bad enough, you'd pray going to get in your eyes. They gave us instructions to wipe that camera down and clean it every night, but they never told us anything about wiping ourselves down.
2: In fact, the company never mentioned anything about the fact that working with this chemical might be dangerous, but the guys had their suspicions because of the way the company acted. You see that range gate right there? That's what we closed for that spray mission. Jones' coworker Billy McLean, wore a camouflage baseball hat with the word deplorable on it. They just didn't want anybody on the spray
4: area, just like they didn't want them on the bombing area. It was a standard operating procedure to close the range gates for the mission.
2: McLean is convinced the herbicide had an impact on wildlife on the grounds of the Air Force Base, particularly deer.
4: Sometimes you'd see 40 in an hour in certain places. Everybody always seen deer, but then the deer disappeared.
2: And the chemicals were not limited to only the test area. McLean told me that when he worked at Eglin, he saw pilots on the test spray missions purge the tanks of their aircraft and dump hundreds of gallons of Agent Orange on the grounds of the Air Force Base away from the test grid. We drive to a small creek on the Eglin grounds that Billy McLean wanted to show me. They brought barrels
4: of aged orange and dumped them in the head of a creek out there, a steep creek. It'd be 50, 60 feet down there to the bottom, and they just roll these barrels out of pickup trucks. I seen them doing that, and I've been down there and seen the barrels down in the bottom of the creek, and that happened, I don't know how often, but there was many barrels that was put down in there.
2: The creek runs into Choctahatchee Bay, which is connected to the Gulf of Mexico. But everything seemed pretty much okay for these workers. The money was good for young, working-class guys, and it helped them achieve their piece of the American dream. And even today, they look back fondly on their jobs at the Air Force Base.
5: I'm Bobby Gunner. I'm 71 years old. I started working for Vitro back in 1967 as a brash 20-year-old guy. And 44 years later, I retired. It was a fine job around here because you work for a construction company, you get $0.75 an hour, a dollar an hour. And so when you got a job at Vitro, you was in high cotton. Back then, you made $72 a week. You didn't turn the overtime down when you had a family of four to feed. You worked all the overtime you could. That was high pay around here, $72. You could order a fine
4: house or have a new car.
2: And no one questioned exactly what they were working with or why.
4: We grew up with a bunch of people that when he, you got a job, you went and done it. You didn't question it.
2: Bobby Collinsworth is 78 years old. He was a cotton farmer while he held down a full-time job at Eglin where he helped operate cameras that filmed the aerial spray tests of Agent Orange and other herbicides. I was raised to do whatever my
4: boss told me to do. We all needed our job. We had a
2: family, so that's what we done. 20 to 30 years later, these vitro workers found themselves getting sick. Very sick.
3: I was diagnosed with lymphoma. I've had melanoma cancer. Cancer that's cut off my nose and lip and on my back. I got all kind of crap all over my chest. It looked like I got leprosy or something.
2: And Jones wasn't alone.
1: I got thyroid problems and uh, my eyes run all the time. You can see it, it looks like a rash under it.
4: I've got stents in me and I've got arthritis from the end of my toes to the top of my head. And I'm in constant
3: pain. I have
2: probably spent thousands of dollars for skin treatments, and I'm just tired of going to the dermatologist. The vitriol workers' families were experiencing a host of unexplained illnesses as well. The men wondered if this was because they were bringing the poison home on their clothes. Hobbs was one of the Eglin workers who did some farming on the side. So when his day at the Air Force Base was over, he had farm chores to do. He did those chores in his defoliant-stained work clothes.
1: I didn't go in and take a bath when I got home because I had to take care of the animals and, and all. So I wore it for hours. I feel like I got the Agent Orange on my wife whenever I go in and hug in the afternoon.
2: Hobbs believes that his wife's miscarriage may have been caused by her exposure to Agent Orange when she did the family laundry.
6: My daughter, when she was three years of age, she just got sick. She just became limp. They finally decided it was her kidneys. She had a kidney disease.
2: That's Linda Yates, the widow of Jack Yates, who collected the cards on the spray grid, among other tasks at Eglin.
6: Our daughter was a daddy's girl. When he would come home, she would run out of the house and jump on him and hug him and all, rubbing all over his clothes, just sticky, saturated with Agent Orange. Well, his clothes, I might not wash them for three days. What I feel bad about is, I let them set till I'd get a big load and wash clothes with the two kids, mine, Jack's. I did not know how dangerous that chemical was. When I did get to wash them, you could just stand them up. They were like starched, they were stiff, sticky and stiff.
2: The notion that they brought home clothes that were tainted with dioxin, a highly toxic byproduct of Agent Orange, and unwittingly exposed their loved ones to it, haunts some of the former Eglin workers. Bobby Gunter wonders if his late wife's neurological problems resulted from dioxin exposure or whether his stepson died at an early age because of it.
5: He was six years old when I worked there at Vitra with the spray missions. He died of leukemia. I am wonder if I was the cause of it because it was on my clothes when I went home. My clothes were washed with their clothes. My wife washed them, you know. I beat myself up for all these years. Was it the cause of it?
2: So was the workers' suspicion of Agent Orange true? Some of the workers have remained friends in the decades since they worked at Eglin. They began talking to each other. Again, here's former camera operator Tommy Brown. When I'd run
3: into some old buddies, they'd say, you know them guys near carpool? All them's dead. You're the only one alive. How do you figure that?
2: Brown's co-worker, Vaughn Jones, made the connection to Agent Orange when he was going for chemotherapy.
3: I sat there looking across the hallway, and I said, I know that guy. It was one of my supervisors that I worked with on Eglin. And I said, Ray Barnes, is that you? Yes. What are you doing down here? So we started talking. He said, Vaughn, we're dying off. I said, yeah, we're getting old, Ray. He said, no, I think it's at Agent Orange that we were exposed to. He had cancer, and he died about a month after I talked with him. When I left there, I went home and started checking. So-and-so's died. So-and-so died of cancer. And I came up with about 40 people that worked out there on that grid that had died of some type cancer.
2: Some of the Eglin workers began hearing of a class action lawsuit that Vietnam veterans had brought in federal court in New York against the chemical companies that manufactured Agent Orange, the very same herbicide that they had been exposed to. The massive legal action blamed the Defolian for a variety of medical problems, including birth defects. Clarence Hobbs started following the case.
1: The first time I heard anything about it, I told my wife, I said, I was covered with that stuff. <laughs>
2: The Agent Orange class action was settled on the eve of trial in May 1984 for $180 million, then the largest award in the history of American jurisprudence. One of the plaintiffs was veteran Michael Ryan, who was a cop on Long Island after the war. His daughter was born with many traumatic birth defects. Here's Ryan's wife Maureen talking about their daughter Carrie.
6: Michael's mother was an obstetrical nurse, and she was in the delivery room when I gave birth. She said to me she had delivered approximately 25,000 children, but she had never seen the pattern of birth defects. But with Kerry, every system in her body was involved.
2: Maureen Ryan appearing in an independent documentary on Agent Orange titled The Secret Agent.
6: She was born without a rectum. Her intestines were malformed. There was no opening at the bottom of her stomach. She needed open-heart surgery. Her arm is malformed. Her arm is normal from the shoulder to the elbow, and then a hand is on after the elbow. Carrie
2: Ryan died when she was 35. Her mother, Maureen, and her father, Michael, are gone too. If Agent Orange did this to the vets, it could be the culprit in the diseases that afflicted the vitro workers. And if so, what could they do about it? Von Jones started contacting other guys who worked at Eglin Air Force Base and were exposed to Agent Orange. Then he started looking for an attorney. A local lawyer named Rusty Sanders caught his attention after successfully defending the director of a local wildlife refuge who was charged with harboring African hyenas.
7: A lot of lawyers have billion-dollar cases that they handle, and I, I got the wildlife without a permit case.
2: Sanders is 38, but looks like he could be 28. He grew up in Baton Rouge and came to the Florida Panhandle right out of law school to work as a prosecutor. He eventually went into private practice and now works out of an office in a small shopping center in Santa Rosa Beach. His face seems to grimace involuntarily when he talks about some of the tragedies that have played out in these workers' lives.
7: One by one, they begin coming in. And explaining what their illnesses were. Each of them were doused heavily with Agent Orange, some for almost a decade, and they were misled to believe that there was nothing wrong with these chemicals. Why weren't they told? Why weren't they warned? What can be done for them now?
2: Sanders started researching Agent Orange online, and it didn't take him long to track down Victor Yannikone, the lawyer who filed the class action lawsuit for Vietnam veterans nearly 40 years ago.
8: I can prove by a fair preponderance of substantial credible scientific evidence that dioxin ain't good for any mammalian
2: creature. I can prove that. This is Victor Yannikone speaking in 1980 at a meeting of lawyers representing the Vietnam veterans.
8: All of the animal evidence, more than we have convicted all the other chemicals that have been taken off the market, indicate that dioxin is either a carcinogen or a co-carcinogen.
2: Victor Yanikone is one of those stubborn idealists who refuse to go along with the established order. When he filed the Agent Orange class action in 1979, Yanicone was already famous for litigating the ban of the pesticide DDT. Considered a founding father of the environmental movement in the U.S., he helped start the Environmental Defense Fund. For several years during the Agent Orange litigation, Yannikone traveled around the country railing against Dow, Monsanto, and the other Agent Orange manufacturers for exposing the veterans to deadly dioxin. He knows this chemical down to its molecules.
8: There it is. 2378-tetrachloridibenzoparadioxin, a molecule of death.
2: This is Yannick on a C-SPAN program devoted to an oral history of the Vietnam War.
8: See this molecule? What it does is damage the electron transport system and the oxidative phosphorylation mechanism of cytochrome P450 in your liver. That's why so many veterans have so many disparate illnesses.
2: It turns out that Yannikone is still angry about the vet's case. That's because the suit was settled without deciding the issue of causation. That is, whether the dioxin in Agent Orange was actually the cause of the medical problems of the veterans, their wives, and children. So he never got to prove in court that Agent Orange was the culprit. Yannikone is now 82 and still practicing law. Rusty Sanders called him and told him about the retired Eglin workers.
8: I have all the relevant documents that are necessary to establish the case on behalf of the forgotten civilians of Eglin Air Force Base.
2: Yannacone is referring to documents given to the lawyers for the Vietnam veterans by the chemical companies that made Agent Orange during the litigation in the 1980s. A federal judge ordered the documents sealed when the case was settled. And so, like an aging prize fighter who reluctantly agrees to get back in the ring one last time to battle an old foe, Victor Yanikone told Rusty Sanders he'll help represent the Eglin workers in a lawsuit against their former employer and the chemical companies that made Agent Orange.
8: He asked me if I could help, and I said yes, I could help.
2: Florida attorney Rusty Sanders says Yannikone's knowledge of the law and the science is a huge asset for the Eglin workers.
7: His participation in the original Agent Orange case makes his participation now decisive.
8: This action represents perhaps the final opportunity for this sad, sorry history of the American chemical industry to ever reach the public eye. The people of the United States and the world should know what the decisions were by the management of these solar stateless multinational conglomerate chemical companies.
2: Yannikone and Sanders have drawn up a 200-plus page complaint to initiate legal action in federal court in Florida. The court papers name 18 living Eglin workers and six deceased workers as plaintiffs. The lawyers say a total of about 100 former Eglin workers would comprise a class in this toxic tort, and they've named a slew of companies that produced or tested Agent Orange as defendants. The companies have all declined comment for this story, but Dow Chemical, perhaps the best known of the Agent Orange manufacturers, maintains that the substantial body of human evidence does not establish that the Vietnam veterans' illnesses were caused by Agent Orange the big stumbling block to giving these workers their day in court is money Yannacone doesn't believe that he and Sanders have the resources to bring such litigation by themselves which would cost close to a million dollars attorney Rusty Sanders
7: Mr. Yannacone and I we know what the hell we're doing but these companies have tremendous resources they're not gonna bow easily so we need a public interest consortium to help bring these civilians justice. The law is the law, and justice is justice. We're confident that if we have our day in court, and when we do, that justice will be served.
2: Sanders says he realizes it'll be an uphill battle for someone with the resources that his office has. He's well aware of Yannikone's reluctance to pursue the case without the financial support of a firm with deeper pockets. Asked if he would bring the case if Yannikone declined to participate, Sanders responds,
7: We're not ruling out any option.
2: But time is not on their side. It was raining when I got to Dorcas, Florida. I went there to interview one final vitro worker involved in the Agent Orange testing in the 1960s.
5: My name is Terrell Gatlin. I'm 76 years old. I've lived here all except about three years of my life. I've loved it.
2: Gatlin started working at Eglin in the summer of 1964. He was one of the testing range technicians. When I met him in late January 2018, Gatlin was grappling with rheumatoid arthritis and type 2 diabetes, but they were the least vexing of his medical problems.
5: Right now I'm fighting stage 4 esophageal cancer, which has spread to lobes on my lungs. There's one in my... Left growing there. There's one right there.
2: On your shoulder?
5: Yeah. I think there's one on one of my aortas. I'm pretty well eat up with it. (laughs) In other words, it's everywhere.
2: Terrell Gatlin died a little more than two weeks after I interviewed him. Attorneys Rusty Sanders and Victor Yanikone are hoping that they can win justice for the Eglin Air Force Base workers before more of them pass away. For Living Downstream, I'm John Kalish.
0: John Kalish reported and produced this episode of Living Downstream thanks to the producers of the documentary film The Secret Agent for sound of the late Maureen Ryan. Engineering support from Anthony Garcia. Original music composed by Charlie Morrow. The Living Downstream theme music was written by David Shulman. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. Darren Lachelle is the executive producer. And the president and CEO of Northern California Public Media is Nancy Dobbs. Subscribe to Living Downstream wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org slash living. And if you see environmental injustice in your community, write to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at NorCalPublicMedia.org.